Preparing our heart to see God is our quiet time with God. Our time each day when we spend alone with our God, our Creator, our friend, our Father. It's a time of seeking Him, a time of knowing Him, knowing His law, knowing His grace, knowing His compassions, knowing His mercy. Just as it was real and true in the days of Jehoshaphat, so it is real and true today. In Bible Hour this morning, we left off right at the end of 2 Chronicles, chapter 19 going into chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat receives word that a great host, a mighty army of three nations confederate together, are marching upon Judah. Jehoshaphat has just been rebuked for helping the ungodly and loving those who hate the Lord, specifically his alliance with Ahab and the military alliance he had in fighting against Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. He was told that because of this, the wrath of God was upon him. That was in chapter 19. Chapter 20 records what the account of that was. The consequences of his unbelief, the consequences of his failure. Both he and his father Asa have had trouble with relying on God. Does that sound familiar? Do we have trouble relying on God? How often do we look for strategies and solutions to our problems that are within our own means, that are within our own strength, that are within our own power to find ourselves miserably fail, stumble, and fall? You see, Jehoshaphat, in the history that he leaves behind for us, is very relevant for 2021. It doesn't matter how many centuries go by or years go by. It's relevant. There is a constant struggle within us of relying upon ourselves or relying upon God, of trusting in our own brilliance and strategy or trusting in the Lord. Jehoshaphat failed. He failed the test when the call from Ahab came, come help me, come help me. God had designed that situation to bring judgment upon Ahab and upon Ahab's house. Jehoshaphat kind of got in the way. In God's mercy, he was spared in that battle. But there's another battle coming. But you know, as I look at this battle, and indeed it is an illustration of just as what Jehu had warned and prophesied in chapter 19, that it was wrath upon him, it's also a test. It is also something that God has put into his life to make him stronger. We face a lot of battles. We face a lot of battles with ourselves. We face a lot of battles with temptation. We face a lot of battles with the prince and power of the air, the devil. How many of us recognize that we face a lot of battles like that? Or do we go into our day 
defeated, not prepared to fight, not recognizing even that we are in a battle, in a war. We are in a war. And we need to be soldiers. But we're a unique kind of soldier. We're a kind of soldier that does not depend upon ourselves. Rather, we depend upon the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who not only is the winner and the victor in the battle against sin and death, our Savior. He is also our Savior in the day-to-day battles that we experience, that we fight in. And in those battles, do we depend upon him? Just as they sing in that song, do we get each day that time alone with our God and prepare our hearts to seek him? It is so important. It is so important as we go forth to fight the day's battles. And whether those battles are just getting the chores done or with serious and major failures in sin, are we going in with our hearts seeking the Lord? I love in chapter 19 as we reviewed this morning, Jehoshaphat is rebuked by Jehu. And then he's encouraged by Jehu. And indirectly, he's admonished to continue to prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And he did that in the end of chapter 19. So between the time of the rebuke and the invasion of the armies, Jehoshaphat had done that and had brought about, and you could say, a great revival within the land. And then the news comes. Chapter 20, verse 1. It came to pass... After this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, that is the salt sea, on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazron Tamar, which is in Gedi. Here we have Moab, Ammon, and Edom, the three nations that are on the other side of the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, but yet they're on this side of Syria because Syria is up north. So if we were to look at a map and we have the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, up over northeast of the Sea of Galilee, we have Syria. And then coming down, we have Moab and Ammon and Edom, and they're on the other side of this Dead Sea. They have gathered together confederate, these three nations, and they've come down below underneath the Dead Sea, and they're now moving north. And in Gedi here is about halfway up the Dead Sea. So they've come from this region, and they're marching towards Jerusalem, and they're about halfway there. They're at a place called En Gedi. Now, if you remember in your history, En Gedi is a significant place in the life of David because that's where David found refuge and respite in his flight from King Saul. They're at En Gedi. That's where there is a stream, a freshwater stream that flows, and it flows on down into the Dead Sea. So this army has come, and they now have camped in this little oasis in the Judean wilderness. They're in Judah. They're in the kingdom. They're not very far away. The news has come. Verse 3. And Jehoshaphat 
feared. Now, if you're a good, trained-up person, you'll know that being afraid is a bad thing, right? We shouldn't be afraid. We should trust God, right? Right? It is true. We shouldn't be afraid. We should trust God. But we are weak. And sometimes our faith falters. Especially when we haven't had that quiet time of renewing our minds and refocusing our priorities upon what's really real. But you know what? We can learn from Jehoshaphat. Because it's one thing for me to tell you, don't be afraid. To be afraid is to lack trust in God, which are both true. Both statements, the instruction to not be afraid and the instruction or the rebuke to, that, that you're not trusting God is real. But you know, we oftentimes find ourselves afraid, don't we? So did Joseph at. This man who had it as a habit to prepare his heart to seek God. The best of us find ourselves afraid. Sometimes more than other times. So what do we do when we find ourselves afraid? Well, we need to do the same thing that Joseph had did. In fact, we need to do the very same thing that will keep us from being afraid. Now, I'm going to skip forward a little bit in this chapter. And I want to point something out to you that, that is said to all of the people. In verse 15, there's a command coming from the Lord. In the middle of verse 15, it says, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. So how do we live out that command? How is Jehoshaphat going to live out that command? Well, the answer is found right here after it tells us he was feared. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He was afraid, beginning with himself. He set himself to seek God, to reset his focus. Really, oftentimes, what makes us afraid and what makes us terrified and what makes us frustrated is that we focus and focus and focus and focus on the problems, the problems, the problems, when what we really need to be doing is focusing upon the God who solves problems. Set your heart to seek the Lord. That's what Jehoshaphat did, and he led the nation of Israel in doing the same and proclaiming a fast throughout all Judah. Now, fasting in a spiritual sense, carries two aspects to it. One is the prioritization of time. We spend so much time preparing food. It amazes me at how much time we spend preparing food and feeding ourselves and our families. But when you fast, that is, you don't eat, you have all that extra free time, don't you? And so it gives you free time to reset your priorities. And by resetting one of the most basic and important priorities of life, that is eating, it really helps you get things into perspective. 
when you take a moment like that. But fasting carries another profound significance to the person who does it, if he's doing it in the right heart. You see, we need food for energy. We need food for strength. Now think about it. Isn't it a little bit of a paradox to hear of an invading multitude, host, army, in your land and to proclaim a fast? To proclaim a fast so that all of the fighting men and all of your people, when the enemy actually gets there, will be hungry and fatigued because they're hungry. Does that make any logical sense? You see, fasting isn't entirely logical. Now, I know some people have found medical benefits to it, but it's not entirely logical, especially in a sense like this. So why are they doing it? One of the primary purposes spiritually of fasting is to find ourselves, to place ourselves in that state of human fleshly weakness and fatigue as a reminder to ourselves of how weak we really are. Think about it. You ever missed lunch and felt it at 4 p.m.? Missed breakfast and you felt it a few hours later? You felt that fatigue? Some of us miss coffee and we feel that way. I mean, really. It's, 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 it's something that when we have those experiences, so often we're tempted to become grumbly and grumpy. They call it hangry, you know. But the very purpose of fasting is to actually show us and to demonstrate to ourselves how frail and weak and bluntly helpless we really are. That's why Jehoshaphat has proclaimed this fast. Not because he's manipulating the people, not because he's setting the people up to be exhausted and hungry and tired when the enemy gets there. But it's a time to demonstrate to the people, we are weak. Now, if we left fasting right there at the point of weakness and um, fatigue, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? <laughs> that would be despair. That would be discouraging, which is one reason why sometimes when people tempt to fast for the wrong reasons, they do find themselves, you know, here they, they tempt to, to fast and, and to have this time and as a spiritual exercise. And if you don't understand this idea and this concept, then, then you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself attacked by the enemy and you'll find yourself discouraged and frustrated and irritable and you'll be like, here, isn't this supposed to be the day I'm seeking God more? And I, yet I'm this grumbly crank. Well, that's true. But if you're just fasting for some exercise of fasting to somehow gain merit with God, which, by the way, is not the point of fasting. It's a major fallacy with fasting. Fasting is not about gaining favor or merit or some kind of a nice, good, friendly camaraderie with God. That's not the point of fasting. Fasting is to show ourselves how weak we are so that we will see how strong God is. Because you know what? He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't need food. 
he can continue in full force, full strength. Nothing stops him. Nothing catches him by surprise. The point of fasting, really the point is, is to demonstrate to ourselves how great God is as we realize how weak we are. So in that moment of frustration and discouragement, that's the very time to rejoice in the greatness, the almighty wonder of our God. Jehoshaphat's afraid. He prepares his heart. He sets himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaims this fast. And all Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat himself set himself to seek the Lord. And by example, he led the nation, all of Judah, to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat, he stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Now you tell me the answer to his questions. Is the answer to these questions, yes, you are? Yes. He goes on. Verse 7, art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they that dwelt therein have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name. Here he's speaking of his own people. What would this be? His great, great, great grandfather, Solomon, God used to build that temple. And when he built that temple, Solomon built that temple. Back in this very same book recorded at the beginning of 2 Chronicles, here he's saying, didn't when they built the sanctuary for thy name, saying, if when evil cometh upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine. We stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. He's actually citing back to a prayer that Solomon made in the very same place he is praying that God would do this. And remember, it wasn't an unanswered prayer. God himself answered that day in Solomon and said, yes, just as you have prayed, I will do. And so Jehoshaphat is referring back to a guaranteed promise of Jehovah in this very spot he is praying that God keep his promise. There's an army coming. We're afraid and we need your help. He says in verse 10, And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, that is Edom, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. There's some history. You know why we need to know history and know some of our history? You know what's going on when he says that? 
When the children of Israel came up out of, the, out of Egypt into the promised land, they were coming up through the region of Edom, Ammon, and Moab. God said, you're not going to touch them. Remember, the Edomites are descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob, the father of Israel. Remember, the Moab and Ammon were the two sons born to Abraham's nephew, Lot. Sadly, through an incestuous relationship with his daughters, an entire, these two nations have come from that. And God said, his reasons, sometimes I wonder, and I don't always understand them. He gave reasons at the time, but he said, don't touch them. And so now Jehoshaphat is reciting back to that day when Israel had obeyed the Lord and did not trouble Ammon and Moab and Edom. But he says, now, behold, he says, I say, verse 11, behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Now look at the next phrase. Look at the next phrase. Look at this confession. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. That prayer, that confession is a prayer and a confession that we need to pray every day. And not just as a ritualistic prayer, but from the heart. We have no might. The troubles, the problems, the temptations that face us we're weak. We have no might to fight against them. You may be the most self-disciplined person in the world. Good for you. But self-discipline breaks down after a while. Self-discipline's a good thing. So long as you don't trust in it. So long as you recognize that even in your strongest moments of self-discipline, you have no might. I have no might. Neither know we what to do. That's a confession saying, hey, I'm not the expert. This is not necessarily saying that he doesn't know what to do. You know why? Because Jehoshaphat does know what to do. Kind of. He's doing it. He knows what to do. He knows that he's weak and he knows he needs to seek the Lord. And he knows he needs to look to God. Yes, he's got a problem he doesn't know what to do with. Sound familiar? We've got problems we don't know what to do with. And when we go to tackle those projects, those problems, and we do it in our own wisdom in our own way of thinking, the way we have been conditioned, perhaps even as a child, 
the way we've been conditioned as Americans. You do know Americans think a certain way, different than other cultures. We're pretty proud people, by the way. We, we, we think, we have these ways of thinking. But it's in those times we need to recognize and check ourselves and say, wait, Lord, do we know what to do? And look to him. So many times God has given to us answers in his word. And so often we miss them in the time of battle or in the days of battle because we're not in the habit of preparing our hearts. You see, it's that quiet time each day, the day by day by day that builds upon itself so that when these crises come and we acknowledge our weakness and we look to God acknowledging that in our own ways and wisdoms we don't know, so often God will bring to our remembrance, either when we open his word in that very day or as we meditate upon who he is and meditate upon his word, that he will bring something that we have read or meditated or thought upon from yesterday or last week or last month or even when we were a child. And it is that very piece of information that God has revealed to us through his word that he will, when we are seeking him, when we are, our eyes are set upon him, he will bring to our mind. The spirit of God, that's how he's working. That's why this is called a living word. Because it's living. The Holy Spirit empowers it in our lives. He's in the situation. He doesn't know what to do. But yet, he's doing the right thing. He's looking to the Lord. That's the first step. That's the first step. I love, love, love the last phrase of that prayer. But our eyes are upon thee. Do you know our eyes play tricks on us? Do you know that? All you have to do is pay attention to how much misinformation there is in the world around us and conflicting information to find out that there's just disasters all going on around. And, and sometimes we can't even trust our own eyes. Here, our eyes are upon thee, he says. I love this because over in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament in chapter 5 and verse 7, it tells us this, for we walk by faith, not sight. We walk by believing what God has said and by believing God's character. That's how we live. And a relationship with him. And it's not about necessarily what we see. It doesn't mean we're blind. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to everything and every problem. No, we do. But it's in faith. And I love how it is. Our eyes are upon thee. They've been hearing the reports. They're going to see this great host. But what are they going to see? Well, at this moment, Jehoshaphat has prayed. He has basically humbled himself before God in deep and genuine humility and surrendered all to God. And then God sends a prophet. Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be 
not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. For tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they shall come by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeral. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Here we have a host of all Judah assembled together. If you look there at verse 13, it tells us that all Judah stood there before the Lord. And it wasn't just the fighting men. It was all Judah, for it included their little ones, their wives, and their children. This is a significant statement. It's part of the reason why we assemble as a body in this way, together. The little ones, that's speaking of the infants even and their children and their wives were together in this worship and in seeking the Lord, seeking God. And this prophet now comes and he proclaims this to all Judah. The battle's not yours. It's God. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Fear not. At the end of verse 17, it says, for the Lord will be with you. You know, we have that exact same promise given to us in the book of Hebrews, that the Lord Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Ephesians tells us that we can stand strong in the power of God, in his strength and in his might. We fight really in our battles, which are spiritual, no different than they did in this day. That's why this is so incredible as a passage here. Because it's so parallel to us. We fight the same way. For verse 18 it says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with loud voice on high. What happened here is that at this point there was a worship service in preparation for this battle that wasn't going to be a battle. It was going to be a celebration of God's victory. And they're singing. They're preparing to go forth the next day. Here you see a people preparing themselves to seek the Lord. Singing is a very important life. It should be an important life, not just for us on Sunday mornings when we come and worship, but each day throughout the week do we worship God in song, making melody in our hearts. It really is important. It really is one of the ways in which we fight our battles. Music is powerful. Music that is combined with worship and praise to our God is powerful. It's a weapon. In fighting our battles. Sometimes we don't think we can sing, so we don't do it. Doesn't matter, we need to. Let's fight with our voices and singing praise. For verse 20 tells us that they rose up early in the morning. 
And they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me. Hear me, O Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets. So shall ye prosper. This is a declaration of faith. Faith is a believing dependence. And he's saying to the nation of Israel, believe the promises of God. Believe his prophets. Believe. Believe. Did you know that's a weapon? Now, I'm not talking about a weapon that's in a sword we go and kill people with. No, no, no. I mean a weapon in which we win victories over our own struggles and problems and trials. By believing what God has said. And you see this? Ye shall be established. Believe his prophets and so ye shall prosper. It's a dependence, a believing, a trusting dependence upon God. Now in this, as they're preparing to go forth battle, Jehoshaphat had prepared some singers. I have some singers to sing a song similar, or at least carrying a phrase from this one here, if they want to come up at this time. For it tells us that Jehoshaphat, not only the day before at the end of that, at the end of that, um, that service and that prophecy from Jehaziel, but here now the next day as they're marching and going forth to battle, Jehoshaphat has these singers. And here he, he declares to them, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, and so shall ye prosper. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. That army that day marched forth. Can you imagine it? A host, a throng, a great army of Israel marching forth to meet the enemy. And this is the sound. A sound of song, of praise to the God. And if you listen carefully to the words, are the words themed after this very phrase. Praise the Lord for his mercy 
endureth forever. Do we go forth marching to war the same way? What an army marching forth, led by singers, praising the beauty of his holiness, praising his Lord, and thanking him for his mercy that endures forever, forever. As they are singing, it tells us in verse 22 that when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, that the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, Edom, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth. And none escaped. Did you know that we can have these kinds of victories in our spiritual battles? When we surrender ourselves to our captain, our God, our king, believing his word, believing in him, we can have victory. You see, the Lord won the battle. The confusion was amongst the enemy. You see, the enemy destroyed themselves. Every one of them fought against one another and destroyed one another. And when Jehoshaphat came to that place, in what? Verse 25, it says that the people came to take away the spoil of them. They found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. God gave them such an amazing victory, and it resulted in a great treasure. Then it tells us in verse 26 that on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barachah. Now, it wasn't named that yet. That's a Hebrew word. That means blessing. This is the valley of blessing. And why did it get that name? Well, because of what's happened here on the fourth day. When this singing army assembled themselves there in that valley, where they assembled there to bless the Lord. You see, they came forth from this battle, and they didn't come home marching and proclaiming, Look at us, we're so great, we won, we won, we won. 
Sometimes we're tempted, even when we have victories over temptation and our own little problems, that it's like, yes, did that, got that. Those are the times when it's, yes, Lord, we bless your holy name because you have wrought this victory, and that's what Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel are doing here this day on the fourth day, which is so profound and great that that valley in which they did this became known as the Valley of Blessing because that's where they blessed the Lord in giving thanks. And they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. The song didn't stop. It kept on going. May the singing that's begun this morning keep on going throughout the week as we praise our God. What was the result of all of this? Verse 29, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. You remember how the chapter began? The chapter began with the warning of the wrath of God being upon Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah in a foreign enemy. Instead of Jehoshaphat responding in fleshly dependence or in self-righteousness, he humbled himself. He sought the Lord. He prayed. He listened to the word of the Lord through his prophet. He obeyed. He went forth singing God's praises. God won the victory. Jehoshaphat led the people in blessing the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem rejoicing with great joy, resulting in all the nations around them having a fear of the Lord, recognizing who he is. Take note, wow. God of Judah. And then he gave Jehoshaphat quiet. Rest round about. You see, even in the midst of lots of problems, I'll promise you, Jehoshaphat still had problems. But the point was that there's rest. We too can have rest. But we're not going to find it striving in our own ways. We're going to find it. Believing in the Lord. The fear was overcome by believing in the Lord and going forth in joy. May that be true for each and every one of us. This morning you are at peace. Are you fighting wars and falling flat on your face over and over and over? Prepare your heart to seek God. Surrender to him. Pray to him. Listen to his word. You may need to seek counsel. Others who can be as Jehaziel and share with you powerful truths from God's word to help you in your fight. 
Don't be afraid to seek help. Seek help from your brothers and sisters in Christ as we together trust our great Savior and our great God. But all this I've said to you means nothing if this morning you have not surrendered your life yourself to the Savior. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who came to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then died for my sin and your sin? So that you could have life, so that you could have all these victories, so that you could have this rest, this peace, this joy, so that you can even begin to fight the battles victorious. This morning, believe on him the one who rose from the dead, who is the victor. Trust him. And for all of us who have believed on him, let's keep walking in that faith, walking in it, rejoicing in our God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the account of Jehoshaphat. This great army went forth in your strength and power, singing your praises and you delivered them. Lord, may we follow in their examples. May we too seek you, trust you, love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. We give ourselves to you now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.